Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome uh, to the Sweeney Show, Business and Life Podcast. Uh, I'm David Sweeney, and joining me here today is uh, Graeme McCormick. Yep. Uh, Graeme is known as the real world Buddhist. Buddhist, yeah. Graeme, uh, you're really welcome here uh, on the show this afternoon. Um, where we're going to touch on, I suppose, a broad range of topics. We want to obviously introduce you and get your personal story and tell everybody who you, act, who you are. Um, but we're going to touch on pro- uh, topics such as uh, mental health, uh, maybe suicide, um, how you've gone through that journey yourself and where you're at today. Uh, so first of all, you're very welcome. Thank you. Uh, so you're Cork originally, Graeme, are you? Yeah, I'm only up the road. I mean, it took me about 10 minutes to get in there. Okay. So I'm in Grange, like in Very Douglas, good. up by the airport. So born and raised, really. Yeah. Very good. And yeah. so you, um, your mental health journey, or I know because you're quite open about it, and you're, um, uh, you're very active on Instagram. So you've had, I suppose, a mental health history or a history of mental health and some battles that you've overcome yourself personally. Yeah, I'd say a long mental health history. I mean, it started when I was a child, really. Um, started when I was about seven, eight. Like my first, I suppose, conscious awareness of high negative emotion was when I was seven. Like I had no, no conscious awareness of any other emotions before that. And what do you mean by high one. negative emotion? High negative emotion as in I feel like crap in the moment. And I really brought my awareness to it and I was like, oh, that feels really bad. Yeah, it feels really, really bad. Because what was happening, what actually triggered it was I was in school, uh, in primary school, and there was a group of males there there was just me um, in my head I thought it was banter kind of you know but banter's you know give and take I was just taking there was bullying basically yeah um, it's been on for a while so I just felt like crap really um, all the time and was it was it was it just school related did you have like your home life was all was all like home balanced was, oh of course yeah, like yeah. In, my, in my own life it was balanced yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, dad was working all the time my mum was just staying at home and Doing a lot of work herself at home. Um, everything was balanced, really. Yeah, just in school is where it really was unbalanced. To be honest. And was it? Yeah. Did you feel like was it threatening? Was it physical? Is it just emotional abuse? Was it just kind of name cut? Like I didn't. I felt like I didn't fit in. Okay. I mean, when there's a group of people literally at you every single day, it's you don't feel accepted in any way, shape, or form. You know what I mean? So I felt excluded. I felt alone. I felt upset. You know, there was a lot going on already at that point. I'd come home, my parents would ask me how I was and stuff like that, and I remember one day I was just really, really high negative emotion, I felt really upset about what was going on. I didn't feel comfortable talking, you know, so I went upstairs, my mother asked me how I was and then I went upstairs and I just looked at myself in the mirror and I just punched myself in the face. Um, I think I was around eight at that point, so that was my first self-harm incident, let's say, you know. I didn't do much damage though, to be fair, I was only eight, but... There was a lot going on inside me to me even think and actually. Was that act because that out. you were frustrated with the feelings you had internally and you didn't know what understand at that point what was going on and so you started to physically hurt yourself to kind of bring it real or is it just that you uh, your self esteem was so low you felt I'm just going to hurt myself? Well, at that point I felt it was me that I was to blame for the bullying. Let's say you know I felt like everything they were saying was true and you know I was this ugly person I was this, this nasty human being and stuff like that so I believed that you know what I mean there was no unfortunately at that time there was no life skills involved in school you, you don't learn how to process emotions in any way shape or form you know no. what I mean and that's yeah. that's one of the problems to present but we'll touch on that another day yeah but back then like you know what I mean high negative emotion didn't know what to do with it I blame myself so 
you know, I just lashed out of myself really. Yeah. And then I, I presume your parents and all that, they, they did what best they could at the time. And did, did that develop then into your teenage years? Did it continue? Yeah, like it carried on, I mean, up to the point of 11. You know, I came home from school one day at 11. I was still very upset. And this bullying was still going on. You know, I just felt like crap again. I was in my neighborhood. There was friends who were just a bit older than me, maybe a year or two older than me. Um, but I hung around with them. And I remember there was actually drugs there at the moment. Um, and I tried it, I tried drugs. I vomited my heart and soul up. I was 11, my body was not able for that in any way, shape, or form. What kind of drugs well. was it? Cannabis, yeah. I smoked the whole joint myself. Like The joint was probably bigger than me at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I was just in the moment. Is that like I a peer was, pressure thing that you felt part of, you know, to fit yeah, in? Yeah, I felt like it did feel like it was accepted by them. Yeah. And it was the thing to do was to, you know, monkey see, monkey do, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I tried it, and just while I was, let's say, stoned, um, I did feel a bit of a release in my emotions, yeah. Because your mind can only focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. And it was focused on me feeling yeah. sick, <laughs> yeah. basically, yeah. from ingesting it, you know. So um, that lasted with me, and that carried on, you know. I got into secondary school then, and the majority of people that were in my primary ended up in my secondary as well, so. These page 10 people were bullying? Yeah, the majority of them, not all of them, but yeah. Yeah, most of them did, and, you know, it carried on. It wasn't very intense at that point, but yeah. it was still, like, it's not, like you see in fucking movies, where yeah. they turn you upside down yeah, and take your lunch money, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It, it's, it's these little sly remarks as you yeah. pass, and, so you know, you're left with this, away yeah, like, time. you're just left with this hurt, even though this person is completely gone from that situation, and you're, again, can't process it, and you're going, fuck, maybe I am that. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, and then were you then becoming more exposed to drug taking? As I got older? Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah. yeah. And we, was that kind of supplementing then the bad feeling consistently yeah. as you got into your teenage years? Like, or? by the time I was 16, I mean, I was in school um, one day, and I was actually drinking alcohol on school property. I mean, do you do that? Does a normal person do that? No, like, you don't do that in school. I was coming up to the end of fourth year and I remember finishing the bottle and I grabbed the bottle and I just, I threw it across the yard, you know what I mean, and landed on the wall next to my principal, so I was trying to hit him, like, you know, trying to, because I was around this group of bullies, you know what I mean, that I was trying to fit in with, put on this macho image, oh, look at me, drunk and trying to smash this bottle and then I just got yanked by the neck into it's the It's probably only now, with some clarity, you can look back and see what that behaviour was, isn't oh, it? Yeah. You know, right then yeah. you just... Maybe you were drunk, maybe you're acting spur of the moment, maybe it was peer pressure. Uh, and then, like, when you're, you're still quite young in your teenage years, 16 is a lot to be taken on as a young man, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, as you touched on it there, is that, like, reflection is very powerful. Like, when you're in the moment, it's, it's very hard mm. to even become aware of what you're doing. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just don't feel in control and, you know, you'd be impulsive and, you know, you know how it is. Like, it's just, it's not nice, but on reflection, you mm. know I can see that, absolutely. Yeah. And then, were you expelled from school over that, or...? Yeah, I was, yeah. Okay. I was at that point, yeah. And did you go back to education? No, at that point I was, I tried to get into other secondary schools for about six months, I think. Um, nothing was happening. My alcohol and drug use went through the roof. And so you went from cannabis to alcohol or was it a, into a different... Yeah, do you want to get into specifics? Yeah, but I, if you're... Okay, so the point I was trying to make there was yeah. the, um, that at 16, I was trying to get into school and no one would take me really. So my parents felt it was best to put me into rehab. So I ended up in rehabilitation in Bally Ragged in Kilkenny, um, a place called Ashland House, which is an adolescent um, rehabilitation centre. And you have to go for like a pre-assessment kind of meeting. So, and you have to list out the drugs that you take, like that you 
you know, that you've used. Yeah. And my mother was there with me and, you know, I just started listing the drugs and, you know, it was like cannabis and, you know, whatever, it was hash and weed. And then it was like, you know, sniffing petrol and glue and Tipex and all that. And then I mentioned ketamine, like, you know, which is... Horse tranquilizer. Horse tranquilizer, like, and my mother just started crying. Like, she was yeah, like, they weren't aware of it. No, she wasn't aware of that at all. Yeah. Got to like, every time I came home, like, after using something, like, they would know something is up. Like, your own child is acting very strange here. But I would never fess up like that. And do you, feel, do you think you were always kind of abusing alcohol and drugs uh, due to a, an underlying mental health issue? Or did it go hand in hand? Mental or health. is it that, like, that alcohol is a depressive kind of a cycle in it that you might keep? I feel drinking? like for my own use, it was not necessarily mental health. I say it was an emotion based. To escape from yeah. the reality? Yeah, like there was high negative emotion. It didn't feel too good. I didn't know how to process it. At 11, I felt the release from using drugs. And that, that, that had a profound effect, yeah. Mm. And yeah. did your uh, spell up in Ballyragged, did that help in any way, did it? No, I lasted a week okay. and a half. Okay. And I actually ran away from the centre um, the last night I was there. Every night I was there, I cried myself to sleep that, you know, a realisation that my life is in pretty bad shape and I'm only 16, like, you know. Um, so every night I just cried, you know, and I just ran away from the centre the last night. Were you getting into any trouble with the law, crime or anything like that? Or was it yeah, just, but just the minor things, minor things. Um, I was self-harming at that point as well. I, I was, you know, grabbing sharp objects and hurting myself. Um, I would be drinking on the street, I'd be brought home in, you know, by the guards or whatever. And, you know, you know it's, it's pretty rampant nowadays that, you know, that a teen would do that. Like, but there's still a lot going on, you know, internally that I wasn't expressing, I wasn't talking about, you know. And that was the major issue at that point. And then that progressed so out, uh, after Bally Ragged, so you would no school to go to. Did that, did that no. routine come out of your life then? Did things get better or things get worse at that stage? Neither are. They just kind of flatlined. Um, I was lost, directionless, uh, hopeless. I was just, you know. But you're, sure, you're surely, like, not the only guy that have that, you know, that in this in the Irish system at the moment, there's all these teenagers, or young men especially, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. must be going through the same thing. Or yeah. did go through the same thing at the time. And yeah. do you feel that the resources went there to direct you or take care of you? Or do they, like at 16, who cares for a 16-year-old? Yeah. Like I did. Outside your family. Yeah, you know, your no, I get you, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think I was seeing a psychiatrist since I was 13 at that point, um, just kind of coming and going and just trying to get me to talk and see what was up and... I had all these tests and all that, and so th there was that. But other than that, there was absolutely nothing, zero. You know, and like, like, oh, let's go up and do sport, let's go up to the J Hall. No, I'm not interested in sport, whatever, I want to do that at all, like, yeah. you know what I mean? So there's, what I'm saying is there's lots there. There's yeah. not lots, there's some yeah. there to help teens. Yeah. But nothing that interests them. Yeah. You know, what's more interesting is sitting around on the corner with the lads yeah. and having a crack. Or what feels like the crack, yeah. you know what I mean, and yeah. that's more interesting. So, like, so for teens, like you have to find something they're passionate about, something that sparks something in them, something that interests them, and something that's powerful enough to drag them from where they are at the moment. Their challenge, where they're stuck, you know what I mean. That's how you work with teens. Not let's go up here and play pool in the hall. Yeah, and give the me school, two minutes. The school system and the leaving cert system or junior cert system isn't set up for that either. So it's not. No. You know, it's, no. that's a certain, it's like a memory test. That's yeah, like I'm not, I'm not a fan of it really. Um, I'm not a fan of everything that comes with it either. The stress, the pressure, the everything, you know. Um, yeah, it's just a memory test. Like, how, mm. you know, how good are you, how so good how, is your memory? How did you progress then yourself into your 20s? Like, like, it sounds like 
uh, you're doing the best you can to kind of get yourself right and then it's just either the trigger isn't there that of a self-discovery or a the moment where you're there, yeah. a pivot to kind of turn around so where did it go from since you left school so as i said i, I kind of flatlined for a couple of years um, i got into a relationship at 17 i think yeah and the girl i was with actually became pregnant so i it's a lot to take on, isn't I, it? A lot of responsibility there for was a man. lot of pressure yeah. there. I, I panicked, to be honest. I was just, you know, I was just like, you know. And then at 19, my daughter was born. And that's when it hit home that there's a lot here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a lot of responsibility, you know. Another person and to take after here. Yeah. After, yeah. Like, and all this inner dialogue came in, and it was just like, you know, all negative saying, you know, you can't look after yourself. How can you look after someone else? And you're going to be a terrible father, and look at your life till now. And, I left all like it the best of me. I believed it, and at 19, I tried to take my life. Yeah. Um, and I ended up in the psychiatric ward in CUH, in GF. I was brought up, pumped with medication. Was um, your daughter born at this stage, or was? Yeah, she was, okay. yeah, she was around, she was around three months old. Um, I had actually broke up with her mother. I just completely flipped the lid, like, just, I was in crisis at that point. Um, and I tried to take my life, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, was it a, a real attempt? Was it a cry for help, do you think? Or? That was, at that point, it was a mixture of both. Now, people can say, no, you're either trying to completely end your life or you're not, or it's a cry for help. It was a bit of both. Yeah. I swayed. Yeah. I was swaying by, this is it, I'm done. It was I, still I'm extreme, not. Ex extreme behaviour. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was, mm. like, it was impulsive, it was erratic, and it was just, poof, done. And I was in the psychiatric ward before I knew it. Um, and going in there then was just, it's a blur, really. You know, they're pumping you full of medication, they're, you ask them just for help, or you're trying to, you know, you're trying to talk to them, and they're just kind of, just take this and go away, because, I, it, understandably, they're dealing with that on a daily basis, you know, but I'm still a human being which, who's in hurt here and in crisis. I need to talk, I need help here. Pumping me in medication is not mm. good enough. I mean, anyway, you know, like that's not good enough. And then, did there become a point later on then that you were, that, is there a pivot where you kind of like, cause look at you today, you're fine, healthy, fresh, positive, yeah, you know, confident young man. Yeah. Uh, where, what, where did you get from that point to where we are now? Well, in between that, between then and now, is an absolute roller coaster. It gets worse. It gets more okay. intense. It gets, okay. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so at nineteen, yeah. Sorry, excuse me. Twenty. I turned twenty, and from the medication they gave me in the psychiatric ward, they just—I was in there for about four weeks. I think at that point they just left me go. They gave me a lot of medication. Um, You're, are you thirty now? Are you no. I'm thirty. Yeah. Yeah. So this is ten years ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they gave me a lot of medication, and they were basically antipsychotics and sedatives and sleeping tablets and antidepressants or whatever yeah i don't even think i was on antidepressant okay. at that point i think they just wanted to just completely numb me um, and shock my system you know um and were you still taking social drugs at that time yeah i was yeah okay. i was trying to mix everything um, because i didn't really care for myself at that point i didn't care how my life went i had just tried to take my life you know yeah I was just... It's pretty empty. Yeah, it's literally Russian. Really. In your view at the time, yeah. Yeah, there was nothing yeah. there. Like I just felt a shell of who I was as a child, you know what I mean? But after all the medication, anyway, like the weight started going up. Like the hunger of them is just insatiable. Like, you know, it's... it's it would take a lot to fill you after them. 
my weight just ballooned up and I came to a point where I was... So that was like a side effect of actually taking the, the mental health drugs? Yeah, yeah. Because you just ate a lot in that Yeah, so the side effects were memory loss, um, weight gain, insatiable hunger, um, lack of sleep, which is a bit ironic because I'm on sleeping tablets, um, high blood pressure, you know. That's, mood. that's a lot to take on for a 21-year-old, yeah. 20-21-year-old 20, man, yeah. isn't it? Irritable as well. Yeah. It was very, like... Mood swings. And yeah, yeah, like I was on... Um, Jeez, I can't even think of the name of them now, but they're far mood swings. Okay. Mood stabilizer, sorry, excuse me, is the term. And I was actually getting mood swings off them. You know, yeah. I mean, if you look at even in general, like a side effect of an antidepressant is depression. Yeah. You can Google that, you can research that, it's facts. It actually says it on the leaflet that comes with it. How is that? <laughs> like, something really needs to change there, big thing. Um, for anyone who's listening who's on medication, that doesn't mean come off it. That means stay on it, that means work with it but look for something better. In the long term, look for mm. something better, yeah. Um, so I was physically, I was unwell. Mentally, I was severely unwell. Something needed to change, so I actually joined the gym and to try and get some movement going, try and release some endorphins, try and you know, feel some bit better, lose the weight, you know, and it started to come together for about a month. I joined up, was doing fitness classes. My mood was elevated at Enjoying times. Enjoying it? Yeah, I was yeah. like, Going into a gym, it was actually became a martial arts gym. I didn't know it was that. I just thought it was a strength and conditioning gym. But within martial arts, there's no judgment. There's no nothing like that. There's no. It's all compassion. It's all kindness. It's all respect. It's all you know. There's no crap like I had experienced in society. Mm -hmm. Let's say. So I was training away in that, and then I went up to the fitness one night, and a class wasn't on. The coach didn't show up for some reason. So I joined in the boxing class, which was on, and that was amazing. It was something new, it was yeah. something I'd never experienced before. I got the crap beat out of me, <laughs> which was, you know, a bit of a shock as well. And I was like, Christ, this is something new. Yeah. You know? So I really enjoyed that and I kept training. Um so it it was working well. And I started cross training as well. I started cross training in Thai boxing was there, there was judo, there was Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, there was wrestling, there was MMA, so there was a lot in there, yeah. I enjoyed that time, yeah. And then did, did you feel by using the gym then things outside your life, outside the gym, were they starting to improve? They were, yeah, because I think a mistake people make and I made at, at times was trying to fix the external without fixing the internal first. I mean, everything comes from within anyway, so, I mean, knowing that, it starts with you. So, I mean, you can't get any more within than literally chemicals being released from your brain and making you feel good, yeah, you know? natural. Yeah, natural, natural highs, you know? 90% of your serotonin's in your gut, you know, eating good food, like, these are mood elevators, like. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, once you're good, everyone around you tends to be good as well, because as humans, we tend to react off each other, you know what I mean? And if you're upset, I guarantee someone else is going to be upset and around you. where did the, the, uh, the real world Buddhists, so where did, where did that come about? <laughs> See, that's where my story, like, my story comes... That's not even half my story. I'm not even joking. Like it's not. So sorry. Let's go. go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So between the gym and your back, to you, yeah, did you have so a relapse then? Is that? Yeah, no. So yeah. like one, once I was training away, my coach came to me. He was like, "Look, you're a bit of a sponge, and you're taking everything in here, and you're putting it into practice." And I was like, "Okay." He was like, "Do you want to fight in MMA?" I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." So he saw something in you. He was like, "Yeah." Yeah. He was like, "You can put everything you're on yeah. into practice pretty quickly." So do you want to fight or what? And yeah. He was like, "Yeah, definitely." And I had my first MMA fight on the 27th of November in 2010, up in Neptune Stadium. And I went up and I what fought. What weight were you fighting? That was at 70 kilos, that was lightweight. 
which is about 11 stone. So I fought that night and I lost a decision. But do you know, three round new. fights, five round yeah, fights. Yeah, sort of three yeah. trees. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was tough, very tough. Something I'd never experienced before. So a real fear going into it? Yeah, like oh, total anxiety. Exhilaration, like, adrenaline, all yeah, that? Yeah, everything. Like, yeah. Actually got an adrenaline dump. Um, my muscles weren't working. I was on my back for about three rounds. Um, but overall, the experience was absolutely crazy. And yeah. I really got a thrill off it, you know. Yeah. It was really exciting. And I carried on. Um, I carried on that night. Went in, got changed, carried on that night. And I sat down, I watched the rest of the fights. And there was two people fighting that night. Um, it wasn't main event, but they were big names. One was called Joseph Duffy, yeah. and he fights in the UFC right now. And the other was Conor McGregor. On the same night? <laughs> On the same night, yeah. Um, and Conor actually lost that night. So, just for anyone who's watching, Conor is beatable. He's a yeah. human being, like, yeah. you know what I mean? You win or you learn, as his coach says. And, you know, Conor learned from that. That's where he, why he is where he is now, you know? But seeing Conor there and everything, and the show, and like there was easily about 1,500 people it was just crazy. I was like, this is something I'm going to do for a long, long time. Mm. So I carried on fighting in that. And I think I fought for about two and a half years. I had eight MMA fights. I had two boxing fights and probably around 25 to 30 grappling tournaments. And I got the chance to fight for a belt. And um, I was doing pretty well with my fights. I had you know, a bit of a big name. I was ranked fourth in my weight class at one point. Things were going good, so do you want to fight for a belt? I was like, yeah, I'm all over it. Um, I went down to Wexford, where the fight was on. Again, I was in an anxiety state. Any time I ever fought, I was not in a good mental state, to be honest. Leading up to the fight? Leading up to the fight, yeah, and especially on the night. I mean, it's natural to have nerves, as any competitive athlete would have. But mine was next level. Like I was I was never in fight or flight. I was always like freeze. You know, that middle, middle room, I was always just like stuck to the wall in the training room, just kind of going am I doing like why am I here <laughs> you know it's it's that some of that is is normal though Look, use the word oh, normal of course, but yeah. like yeah no it, people it's natural feel I wouldn't say normal yeah. but it's natural to yeah. feel nerves yeah. it's natural for fight or flight to kick in yeah I mean there's you're and do you feel then that your mind was cracking back to a previous game where like the self-doubt and the, the self-esteem was knocking at you mm-hmm. or was just in that moment the pressure was just a bit mix your boat really mm. <laughs> it was like it was the self-talk saying you're not good enough you know what I mean? You're a terrible human being. You, yeah. This who, who says you can win this fight? The imposter yeah. syndrome type thing that, like, yeah, yeah. Who am I am not good enough for this type yeah, of thing. Yeah. So it was, it was a mixture of that, you know, both really. And so I went down and I fought and I touched gloves and then within 12 seconds I was knocked clean out on the floor. This is the title fight in Wexford? Yeah, Wexford, okay. yeah. I was knocked clean out. It was heartbreaking. I remember being picked up by two other people and, you know, the term I like to use is two other human beings because you know, to have one human being being helped by two others means there's something going on there that that person needs help. And, you know, my ego was shattered mm. at that point. I built myself up all yeah. along from bullying and all that and, and, and secondary school and, you know, society to be this tough guy, you know, yeah. which I was not at all. Yeah. At my core, I was, you know, Humble, I'm not, not going to say that was character building, but I'm sure there's a lot of lessons out of that as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And do you, looking back at it now, just even technically, do you know why you lost the fight? Or do you think you, it was a technical aspect? Or just, yeah, no. Just the adrenaline yeah, got to you, no. the nerves got to you? Did? Yeah, it was, I, I froze again, like fight, flight or freeze. I was in freeze pretty much the majority of my fights. I don't know how I won most of them. But yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of natural. So you must have natural ability. Yeah, it yeah, just yeah, in, yeah, like, and like, that was the sponge. Muscle memory or whatever it is. About, like, you yeah. know, he was like, you know, you can do a whole lot here. It just happens. Like, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, but 
after that did I that trigger uh, a bad spell it okay. triggered a, a very bad spell in my life in that moment I was very very upset my ego was destroyed I mean it was shattered like from being this tough guy and in the moment I just said that's it I'm done I'm done with the sport you know like even on reflection like the very first night I'd fought I was like oh, I'm going to do this the rest of my life and then when I had a kind of bad loss to be fair it was a bad loss but it wasn't a terrible loss either. Mm, do you know what I mean? It was an extreme that, reaction, you think? Yeah. yeah. I mean, both were extreme. And yeah. I was kind of extreme in nature in yeah. general anyway, like yeah. with decisions or impulsivity and doing things. You know, I was always like, Jesus, why would you do that? Or, you know, I didn't really have a whole lot of awareness of that, you know. So at that point, that was 2012 coming to 2013, I went completely downhill. Um, I was always used to drinking drugs when I, was, when I was competing. I mean, when I won, I partied. And... When I lost, I partied harder because it was almost a form of self-harm as well, you know, that sure. I knew you'd lose that and you just lost it, you're crap, you're terrible. Drink this, not that, destroy yeah, yourself. Yeah, and even though like you're training so hard and you're obviously physically getting in good shape and then you're destroying all that work, yeah. you drinking off, you know, yeah, outside the like gym and all that. Th th the paradox is you could be in great physical shape but not in the best mental, mental shape, head. you know yeah. what I mean? And that's... It's a dangerous combination. Yeah, sometimes. unfortunately that's yeah. where it's at sometimes. And People, some a lot of people would focus on the physical more than the mental. Yes, with endorphins, they're they're attached in certain ways, but they're so different in more ways. Is that sorry? We'll go back. Yeah, to where we're at. But is that kind of just there to kind of be have having a self awareness to be aware of how you are which, which mental health, like at in the moment that you know triggers it might set you off or might set off an extreme behaviour. Is that an individual thing to be able to process that and just? kind of calm yourself I mean I didn't know anything I didn't know self-awareness I didn't know what mindset was and, and self-belief what the fuck was that no I didn't know nothing at all to do with the mind all I knew was that I would beat myself up mentally that's it yeah because I that, even that on your um, I think your, your, your Instagram recently you have a thing about self-talk and how you're like sometimes the enemies within the between your ears isn't it that how you talk to yourself it's, so like, yeah my, like my belief on that and are you referring to the post I put up earlier? Was yeah. It? Yeah, so I think a part of the issue or challenge is with our mind is that we think it's separate from us. And that and that stems from, let's say, if we're being not so nice to ourselves. Okay? Like we kind of separate from that. And we're like, oh, my mind is at me now today and stuff like that. Yet the mind is actually part of you. I mean, we're out here trying to fight mental health and fight depression why are we fighting these things they're part of us embrace them and then see where you're at it says it in the name it's mental health it has to do with your mind you know what I mean we're resisting all these things and when you, what you resist will persist you know what I mean especially with let's say negative emotions come up not so nice feelings anxiety oh that doesn't feel too good you train you know separate that from you I don't want that but how about if you pull it back in embrace it and work with it that's where it's at it's about embracing our mental health not fighting it. And is self-talk a part of that then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where that comes in is like, we when the self-talk is not so nice, we have a, ha a habit of pushing it away and saying, oh, mm. stop, just shut and up. Is that something that you can train yourself to talk more yeah, positively yeah. about once, yourself or in a better... Yeah, once you become aware of a thought, you can literally do anything you want with it. Once you're aware of negative self-talk, you can change it into positive self-talk. Mm. Or, I don't really like the term positive, let's say, um, but you can change it and reward it. And you can also change the tone of your voice. Instead of going, oh, Graham, you've fucked up now again today. How about, Graham, look, it happens, buddy, relax, feel into mm. it, and we'll go again. 
they're two completely yeah. different ways of speaking to yourself. Same, insulin Same. has occurred, but the reaction yeah. is different. Yeah, yeah. The reaction in the mind, the self-talk is completely different. I mean, the, with the self-talk post I put up earlier was, I had a client who had anxiety. Um, we were talking about self-talk within that experience of when you're on the verge of a panic attack and you're like, oh, will you stop now and just chill out and relax? That actually inflames it and flares it up. You know what I mean? If, if you were having a panic attack and someone yeah. came to you and they were like, ah, don't, chill out and relax, don't stop. Panic. Yeah, <laughs> don't panic. Yeah. Gonna go to panic. And relax. Yeah. You're going to go, ah, you're going to get worse. Yeah. But what if your self-talk or that person came mm. to you in a gentle tone and was like, I'm here for you. Mm. We're going to breathe through this now and embrace it. Two completely different approaches. Mm. I guarantee if the person came to you like that, you'd be mm. just down a notch. Mm. You know? As, and it's the self-talk as well when you just approach yourself and how did you develop manner. those skills so after you lost that title fight then you said like, things kind of unraveled a small but then again or yeah, made your way again unraveled they went completely down um, I was at um, a point was, was losing the fight the trigger or do you think there was other things and that just happened to be this it was, it was it was the trigger back. there was a lot going on yeah. but that was the main trigger that was you know that was poof that's happened I was like ah that's it that's what I needed here we go let's destroy myself so I did um, I was at home I was using alcohol and drugs. I was told to stay out of the house and not not use in the house, but I was coming home while using outside, sure, yeah. which defeated the purpose. I was home then high and aggressive and angry and drunk and everything. So they were look, become clean and sober. I, you can't stay here. We've had enough. Like you can't. I was putting them through hell. I really was. Is this your parents? Yeah, it's my yeah, parents. Yeah. 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 So. Actually, Have you other brothers and sisters? Were they in that environment as well, or uh, they weren't at that point? No, okay. they were. They're older than me. Okay. They're they're married. They have families, and they yeah. live they live at home themselves at their own home. Yeah. So my parents were pretty much on their own at that point. I mean, I was early to mid twenties at that point. You know, you know, like society mm. expectation of yeah. someone that at that point, you know, should have be have been in college or some or something. You know, society's expectations. So I was putting myself to that as well, and saying, Fuck, "You're 25 here, like, mm. what are you fucking you're doing, together, man? Yeah, like, yeah. cop on here." Yeah. And of course, just going on the self-talk that made things worse. Yeah. It made me feel worse. It made my reactions worse, you know. So, my family said to me, "Look, get clean this over, or you can't live here anymore, really." So I chose to use. My, I said, "Look, I'm going, leave it, forget about it." Um, I actually chose to leave because I was breaking my family's heart. And I didn't have the skills to process and deal with it and try and change my behaviour. All I knew, again, was that I was just destroying myself and everyone around me. And I just couldn't stop it. So I left. Um, I was out of home for a while. I had destroyed a lot of my relationships with my friends. Some of them wouldn't take me in. And when they did, I ended up messing up. So I had a car um, in a certain area in Cork. It was left there for a while. And I actually stayed in that for a short period of time. Um, so you were I, literally on the streets? Yeah, like I slept in the doors of Debenhams one night. Um, I had to register as homeless with Draining that, Street. And wow. then, yeah. But that must be heartbreaking for your family, you know, that things had got progressed that far, that they felt, I know, these are your their decisions, you have to take yeah, their responsibility for that behaviour as well. Yeah. I mean, their heart was broken for years, I mean, like it mm. was just never ending. You know, it was very hard. Not just for my mum and dad, but for my brother and sister to be getting phone calls every day saying, Or when's the I next phone help. call? Are they going yeah. to get a body? Yeah, or you know? the guards are bringing me home because I'm completely out of my brain on something. And, you know, 
And did that lead to any continuing self-harm or any more? Yeah, I was always like always self-harming. I was always using alcohol and drugs um, to numb emotions, and I was always self-harming out of self-hatred. Yeah. And self-harming, like I've literally, any way you could self-harm, I've done it, you know what I mean? Um, I'd rather not get into specifics mm. anyway, just for, it yeah. may be triggering for some, mm. but any way possible, I've, I've done it. Um, yeah. You just wanted to hurt yourself? Yeah. And is, yeah, so it's, it's like I have a very minimal understanding of, but like self-harming is sometimes you just want to feel a bit real, so you hurt yourself to bring yourself into a moment. So there's a lot of reasons why I would self-harm. The majority of the time it was self-hatred, I absolutely hated myself at my core. I can feel that there now. Um, others was when I would flatline and I would feel absolutely nothing. I mean, it's a contradiction that the worst thing I've ever felt is not feeling anything at mm. all. And that's horrible, it really is. To feel not alive, to feel dead, yet you are alive. It's like, what is going on here? How is this, you know? And then did you have a realization some day that like, this has to stop, or how do, how do you pick yourself <laughs> up from that, you know, because you're really, you know, where where do you go from there? I had that realisation probably on a weekly basis, right, something needs to change here. And what, what did that lead to an extreme behaviour and that wasn't manageable or sustainable? And yeah, you, I, have yeah it's, again it's going back to again that I had no skills, I just didn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah I wanted to change, the desire was there, but there was no action taken, there was no nothing, because I just literally had brain fog, I didn't know what step to take, and if I did take a step, my brain would go, you can't do that, come back into your comfort zone, and it's just like that. It was just ongoing, really. So, so I suppose to touch on the point again, coming back to the life story was something needed to change because I was in and out of the psychiatric ward as well. I would scream and roar the place down, any place I was, high off drinking drugs, um, threatening to hurt myself beyond repair with sharp objects. Like, always at myself, I would never, yeah. like, would never direct that or point a knife at anyone else in any way, shape or form. It was always me. Everything was directed towards me, always. And I was, I was in the psychiatric ward. Um, I was in and out of uh, Arbor House. I was in and out of Ravenscourt, St. Finbar's Hospital. I was just, I had crisis team in CUH. I was in and out of a &E doors, I don't know how many times, um, trying to get help and I wasn't getting Sounds it. Sounds like you've carried a lot of pain. I did, yeah. Do you know? I've released like all the that The core now. of all that is really pain, isn't it? For whatever it's, way it is, internally in you. The deepest part, of, I used the word core, at my core, mm. was where the pain was. It wasn't just surface level negative emotions, it was at the deepest core of my, of, of my state, of, of, mm. my, of my being was, you know, heart pain, you know, like, I feel like, you know, I feel crying even thinking of it because I can just yeah. go back to that so easily and feel it, but, um, yeah, at my core, yeah. Yeah, and then, but I think, isn't it, you have to go into the core to kind of rebuild, start again? Yeah. You have to hit rock bottom. Yeah. Unfortunately, at times. And what's even more unfortunate is that some people don't get there. Mm. That's the worst thing about mm. it all. Thankfully you did. You have turned yeah, it around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and was it like, obviously you, you must have real, to go through all that, like your own mental strength now to kind of uh, evaluate all that, process all that and be here and so brave today to tell your story because like that's not easy in itself. The stigma attached to mental health, the stigma attached to the behaviours that you had previously yeah. to come and then what was there a kind of eureka moment where like this I'm, is I'm, happening now yeah, or are yeah. you still on that journey? I'm, I'm Smirking here because the story still isn't over. Yeah. It, like it's, yeah. I'm probably about three quarters of it true. Yeah. So at that point when I was homeless. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Like you. Okay. You don't well, I don't. Sorry, I don't, don't know what happened. Yeah, I'm not trying to dismiss. <laughs> no. Like, yeah. yeah. Please, please tell us. So basically, I had it. tried to take my life again. 
at that point and I ended up in the psychiatric ward again. So my psychiatrist was in there, I'd see her on a Thursday and she would come in um, and we'd just talk, again surface level talking. She came in one, thurs one Thursday and she was like, look, I'm diagnosing you with emotionally unstable personality disorder. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Was that the first diagnosis, something like that? Or was yeah, all so I had a lot of tests, um, I yeah. had a lot of psychological tests done. There was, they were bringing up names, you know, certain names of diagnosis and stuff like that. And I've selective memory and hearing and all these kind of tests were done. Um, but that was the first one where they said, this is you. This is what we're diagnosing you with. Um, basically, effectively saying this is you for life. In an indirect manner, you know. So I, I went back to bed, which I always did after seeing her because I was just groggy off medication and I'd done a bit of research while I was in bed on my phone and yeah, there's a lot of things I could relate to, a lot, yeah. Um, Do you think that was the first time the diagnosis was right or correct or yeah. something that you accepted yeah. that, oh actually... Yeah, I was like, overall the team was the same Because you can't treat, treat anything unless you know the problem, isn't it? You know the source. Yeah, you, you have start to diagnose it. first, yeah. like, you know, before you prescribe um, and that's in the seven habits, you know, of highly effective people have to diagnose before you prescribe anything. So it was there, the diagnosis was there, it made sense. Um, and But again, my medication just went up. That was it really, at that point. But then a few months after that, um, I became in crisis again. Um, I was seeing my psychiatrist in Ravenscourt. I went into her one day and she was like, look, there's a therapy coming up and it's called dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. So I said, okay, whatever, like, I'll just try it. Um, I died nearly probably around four times at that point. I have nothing to lose really, let's do it. Um, every, she, like everything else that we had done, that she had offered, wasn't necessarily working. Like our therapy and stuff like that and you know, mindfulness, I tried it for a while yeah. and I just ran away from it really. But it's not that they don't work, it's that they didn't work for me at that point. Mm. I have to stress that to any mm. listeners as well. Mm. That it, it's not that they don't work, it's just that for me, my own experience at, the, at that point. So. I tried it, so I met with a psychotherapist. I had to sign a contract that said if I was suicidal that I would not seek help. Which to me made absolutely no sense. I was like, do they want me to die? What's, what does, how does this even make sense? So what the psychotherapist uh, explained with that point was that I would learn skills. So when I was in crisis, when I was suicidal, I was planning or <coughs> about to take action that I would use my skills. Mm, instead of reverting back to what you had previously done. Instead of ended up in the psychiatric ward again. Graham has using the ambulance here. Yeah. And and just, you know, like people with I suppose we should say like this is very specific to your treatment that anybody that is out there and uh, might have similar symptoms or feel the same way, they should first of all go to their own health practitioner that we're talking really specific about how you were treated. Yeah. And like that, everything uh, that we say is individual to my case yeah, especially. Like yeah, it's like yeah. We are all individual, and if there's anything at all that is even upsetting you, in general, it's about talking mm. to someone who's non-judgmental, someone who's not going to sit up on their high horse and say, why are you feeling like that? Don't feel like that. Okay, and also I'd just like to touch on surface level talking and listening needs to go in this country, big time. Surface level talking. How are you? Yeah, I'm grand. grand. This crap. And then this is surface, surface level listening. All right, cool, yeah. No, how about stopping and you know getting on an emotional level with another human being like you're supposed to that's communication mm. you know so that's i don't know like that's probably it's easier said than done correct than but it's me. also like everyone's busier now people are you know that yeah. 
these kind of relationships we used mm. to have are the kind of it's been diluted a small bit, isn't it? Yeah, it, like that's the problem. If you're too busy to sit down and have a conversation with someone who you may think is unwell, um, you need to check yourself big time and make it and set priorities. Mm. <coughs> a conversation could take up to two minutes. And an emotional level and conversation. Have an, have an impact on that yeah, other person. Absolutely. Mm. It's something that you can't even see or feel because it's not your experience. It's mm. that person's who's hurting. Mm. You need to set priorities if that's the case. So yeah. then when you went back on that, that new set of therapies and treatments, like was yeah. that, that something that you found worked for you at the time? Yeah, so I started it and it was mindfulness based at its core and I'd done a bit of mindfulness. I didn't like it at all. Um, I sat down. So the course itself was a year long. So you had two sessions a week. One was group therapy with other people with the same mental illness and then there was one session with a psychotherapist. So I sat down with the psychotherapist on my first one-to-one -one session, week one. And we sat down, I closed my eyes and done a bit of mindfulness for literally about eight seconds and I went, no, no, stop, stop, stop. Yeah, no, it was my thoughts, like, it was what was going on in my head. Because when you close your eyes, you become aware of what's going on with inside you, you know? Um, and you can divert that. Through mindfulness, you can divert that focus to what's going on upstairs or down below, how you're feeling, your emotions and stuff like that. But for that day, I ended up in my head straight away and I was, no, not doing this. But she said, look, you did sign a contract. I said, you would do this. So there was a bit of a, You've oh, committed shit, to it. Oh, yeah, I have to do this. this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, she had wrote, I had wrote down that this is my last chance as well, because that was my mindset on the contract. She was like, you said this is your last chance, just do it, <laughs> you know? I was like, okay. So we practiced that for a while. Um, and then we got into about the three month mark. And I got to know other people with the same diagnosis. So we had the same symptoms, same life experiences, pretty much. Um, and we got to know people on an emotional level. And I went in one day, met the group therapy, and a girl sitting directly across from me wasn't there. So we found out at the end of the day that she had taken her life. Then a week later, I went in, and a girl who would be second last to the right across from me again wasn't there either. She had taken her life. And then a week later, I panicked, freaked out, inside therapy, ended up flipping the table, thought I was next. Um, and I was brought up to the psychiatric ward, straight from Ravenscourt, straight up, up to GF again. Um, I was brought to and from the psychiatric ward to the course because that was part of it, I had to do it. Um, I was learning my skills during the day, going back to the psychiatric ward and using them and so on and so forth. So after about a year then, the course was finished. I obviously got out of the psychiatric ward, carried on. And about the nine month mark actually, sorry, of the course is when I became self-aware of what was going on inside me. I understood what my triggers were. I understood. Were you sober this time, apart from no, uh, prescribed not. drugs, or were you? No, so I was yeah. on prescription medication, but I was still using alcohol and drugs outside. So that was our kind of, that was what me and my therapist were working on as well to try and get rid of the alcohol and drugs. And I was back and forth over the Arbor House to um, a dual diagnosis therapy where you have mental illness and addiction. That scared the life out of me. Um, in my own experience, again, that I felt I was dealing with two things at once there, and I couldn't do it. Um, other people have had success with that mm. course, I'm just saying, in my own experience, so I was just reverting back to my therapist all the time, but after about a year then, it started to hit home that, Christ, yeah, the course is finished, I was feeling some bit better, I was feeling a bit better, and I remember my therapist going, look, there's other people starting this course again, people who would be similar to you, you're doing pretty well, would you like to stay on for three months and help them? I said, yeah, let's do it. So I stayed on, and I remember a girl came in uh, who was in, the, in that therapy, um, she was struggling, I helped her that day, 
she came in the next week and she was like, what you said to me last week really, really helped. Boom, that was the turning point. I was like, okay, so I'm full of self-hatred. I believe all these things I'm saying about myself. And next thing I'm after helping someone probably save their life. So that kind of nipped away at them thoughts. Maybe I'm not that person I tell myself. You know what I mean? That was, mm. that was the turning yeah. point, yeah. So after the three months, it was great. Um, and did you meet more just in that first person? Did you start talking to other people and helping them in that? Yeah, like that was the most profound yeah. that I probably did. There was a realisation there. It, it helped drastically. I wouldn't say yeah. it saved the person's life, but yeah. I helped drastically at that point. I would never say that, you know. But other people were there and I was just guiding them through it. I'm not a therapist in any way, shape or form, but I have experienced it and I was helping, yeah. So there was a lot going on that would that have swayed how I, how I perceived myself, you know. You're, you're clean and sober now? Yeah. So when did that, how, how far along <laughs> so that journey are you, where are you? I'm two years, and on wow. the 31st of October 2016, I got clean and sober. I was weighing 18 stone, 10 pounds. You were weighing? Weighing, 18 yeah. stone? 18 stone, 10 pounds, yeah. yeah. Um, literally two years and what, four or five months ago, nearly, yeah. At that point, 18 stone, like the medication was through the okay. roof. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was one suicide attempt just before that um, where I actually nearly lost my hand. Um, self-harming incident went too far and it turned into a, a suicide attempt um, and I nearly had to have my hand actually amputated um, just to find one's triggered. Yeah, yeah like, are you, like, are you on your own when these things happen? Like, are you intoxicated? Or, you know? Yeah, like, two actual suicide attempts were when I was sober, like, you know. I, I was just feeling intense emotion. Um, that one with the hand was when I was high as a kite. I was awake for about three days. Um, using sure, you must have a loss of a sense of feeling even. Like to put, oh, there was nothing there. Yourself. Oh, there was nothing. There was just a rush from these drugs that I was just destroying myself and pummeling myself with. Um, and I attacked myself with my hand and within seconds I was like, okay, I'm dead. That's it. I'm done. This is it. Yeah. So at that point, I was put into a psychiatric ward again, and my medication went through the roof. They just didn't know what to do with me, really. They were like, you've just done this therapy, you were doing amazing, and then you've just tried to kill yourself again. What's going on? You know? So they just pummeled me with medication. I was on 16 tablets a day for my mental health alone. I was on two antipsychotics, a mood stabilizer, an antidepressant, a relaxer, and a sleeping tablet. All at once. That's a lot of chemicals to be put That's into your body anyway, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I had to get my bloods done every six weeks for my liver enzymes. I was, you know... All the other side effects, yeah. Yeah, I was... My, my waking hours were probably... I was awake for probably about four to six hours a day. The rest, I was just unconscious, asleep. And so then... Wow. The, um, October 2016 then. Yeah. What, how did you get to that point from there? Um, on, so fr after the suicide attempt, which is probably around mid-2015... Um, I had a lot of physiotherapy done. I had three plastic surgeries done on my hand and I had a lot of physiotherapy done. So I got sitting down with my uh, physiotherapist who was an absolute gent in South Infirmary, the physio ward over there. Um, he was just a gent. He was very non-judgmental, compassionate, understanding. Like I was hearing voices at that point and you know, I would have strange reactions and stuff like that and he would just, you know, just keep walking on my hand and not, not make yeah. any reactions that I would feed yeah. off and go, ah, oh, there is something wrong with me, you know? So I got talking to him a lot and he was kind of a mediator between me and my family, which was completely acceptable by both parties. And things were, you know, they started to come together a bit. You know, I was talk back talking to my family. 
you know, things were coming together. And then on the 31st of October 2016, I just, I just had enough really. I just had to look at my life I, on reflection. Again, reflection is very powerful. We touched on that and I was just like, okay, so you've been in the psychiatric ward eight times. You've been on probably every medication possible, injections and everything, and for your mental health. You've had massive panic attacks. You were homeless. You weren't allowed to see your daughter. You know, you've got kicked out of school. You were in rehab. You've probably destroyed every relationship you've had. Um, something big needs to change here, buddy, or you're not going to survive this, you know? You and know, I, you've had your literally nine lives cut. Yeah, like there. I was on my last, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just... And, and to top it all off, you know, as I said, I wanted to see my daughter. I was a father through all of this. Mm. You know, and it's very easy for someone who's, you know, not educated on the subject, but go, Christ, you're fucking terrible. Oh, you're a scumbag, oh, you're this, you're that. You know what I mean? But when you step into my shoes, you know, and you put yourself there, that you have an understanding that... But you've also had Jesus. now, if that was three years ago in early, you're 27, you've had 16 years of alcohol abuse substance abuse if you yeah. first started taking yeah like 11 yeah. like it took 11 starting then. drugs at 11 and alcohol at 12 that's a so. huge period to kind of break cycle of that of a habit like my phrase was it was just too much too young like it's, mm. it's how I live my life you know um, and that all stemmed from emotion you know negative emotion and, and not knowing how to process or deal with it that's, that's what happened you know uh, and then like so the alcohol you stopped just cold turkey yeah so I stopped everything cold turkey um, was it easy no <laughs> It's not that, you know, I, pretty, I was pretty much drinking every day, but it's not like I was taking drugs every single day. Mm. It was a second, maybe every two or three days I would have, fucking, I'd be in crisis and I'd just destroy myself with alcohol and drugs. So it was, it wasn't like I was getting the shakes every two minutes and I was rattling or, you know, it, was, it wasn't anything like that, but I knew that I didn't have a support system there anymore, that I, would, I couldn't go to alcohol and drugs. And it was the fear of that, that I'd actually have to use the skills I learned in my therapy it was so, it was a state of fear constantly, you know. But I locked myself in my bedroom, not literally, but mm. uh, for about three months straight, I was meditating, I was mindful, and I enforced 20 minutes of exercise every morning before I left my room, you know, just to get food and come back up. So, did it, that happen every day? No. Did it happen a lot over time? Yeah. I wouldn't be this size yeah. now if, yeah. if, if, if not, like. And it's, 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 it was just such a big jump. Like, you know, for 18 stone, like for some people is not very big. I mean, you see some lads are just like, you know, they're just big lads, like, and it's it's the norm to be that size. But I was 11 stone when I was fighting. Like I'd walk around at maybe 12 max, you know, and I jumped up to 18. So like, it was very upsetting to see myself in the mirror. Um, that would trigger the self-talk again. Oh, you're terrible, you're crap, you're this, you're that. You know, I lacked confidence, I would, staying home as much as possible. I didn't want to leave the house in case people would laugh. That was probably the way it was probably a kind of a psychosomatic kind of reaction that you could see the physical issues on your body. You're carrying the weight around and that then triggered more things. Yeah, it did, yeah. It was just mm. like, it was just a chain reaction really yeah. of, you know, that stemmed from how I perceived myself. And then did you continue to, uh, to talk to people and to try to help them at the same time? Helping people, yeah. others in general? Yeah. Not necessarily, no, not at that point. Okay. I knew that I had to work on myself first. Again, mm. it, that's going with starting with you first. Not trying to fix the external, fix the internal first, and then you're able to give. You know, fill yourself up, fill up mm. your own cup first, you know, before you pour, like, and it's, that's how it was, you know. So for that period of time, 
I was working on myself like intensely like I was m mindful of every single thought I had you know what I mean I, pro I, I was mindfulness of thoughts is what I was doing pretty much on a daily basis for a good period of time <coughs> do you every write time you writing things down or is yeah so I was journaling and stuff like yeah. that as well but the mindfulness of thoughts would the second I'd have a thought I'd label it a thought I'd just put a tick on paper so okay I'd have a thought I'd pick. okay there's another one okay there's another one so I'm becoming aware of every time a thought arises in my mind. How rapid they're and coming. And then I can see whether it's a positive or negative thought. Thoughts themselves are neg never negative or positive. We label them as that. So I was just, you know, becoming aware. There's a thought. Then I label it as good or bad, positive or negative. And then I see how I respond or can respond to it, you know. So I was mindful of my thoughts on a daily basis. I was exercising. I was eating right. I was outside, I was off drinking drugs, but I was still smoking cigarettes at that time. And I was out my front door um, having a cigarette one, one time, just sitting there on the floor, the same spot. It was my go-to when I would go into my head, have a cigarette and just think about life, you know. And I was just sitting there and smoking, and the next thing, this voice in my head just said, Graham, do you love yourself? And I answered back, and I was like, I do. Because like, it was on reflection what everything I was doing, I was you know, eating right and meditating, everything. And, it just said, like, you know, if you truly love yourself, just get rid of the cigarettes as well. So I was like, oh, fuck it, yeah. And it's not like in that moment I just dropped no. cigarettes. Yeah, it was yeah. like, I actually ended up in hospital um, with a Crohn's. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease as well, so I had a Crohn's disease flare-up. And I was smoking as well about a week after that when I was outside my front door. And the doctor came along, my gastroenterologist, and he was like, look, are you smoking? And I was like, I am, yeah. And he was like, you're probably going to get cancer, like, you know, if you keep smoking. And I was like, sure, you know that, like. He was like, no, no, no. With Crohn's disease, you're at high risk of bowel cancer, stomach cancer, all the digestive tract. Like, yeah. so he, he gave me a fright. Like, so it was the point of self-love, yes or no, and the doctor saying that I just gave up cigarettes. So that's when everything stopped. You know what I mean? My cigarette, the cigarettes was the last thing to, to go. Then you know, um, and at that point, you know, it started to come together. Really, my relationships were coming back. Um, most importantly, the, the relationship, relationship with yourself, myself, yeah. of course, that's, as we know, that's number one, like, and that improved greatly. Yeah. Um, and then after that, how long do we have? I can still talk a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, um, I, the way it was coming off, I wanted to go back fighting. So the coach said, yeah. So I joined a different gym, um, was training MMA for a bit, uh, added that in. And he said, look, there's a fight coming up for a belt. So I agreed to that. I thought my life fell apart after a title shot. Maybe it could all come together now with another one. So I agreed to it, 100% all over it. Um, and then you had to have an MRI on your brain. You had to have bloods done. You had to have a medical done by a doctor. You had to pass all these tests first, which was never there before when I fought years ago. So I got it done. Um, I had the MRI in my brain. And about two weeks before the fight, I got an email to say that there was a red flag on my MRI. So I was like, okay. So this guy was the neurologist in Beaumont Hospital. He said, look, come up, we need to talk to you. So I went up, was chatting with him, and he had me doing the movements with my hands and you know, moving my body and stuff like that. And my hand was like this, so I had a shape for tea. And he looked at my hand, and he was like, actually, what happened to your hand? So I felt comfortable, so like sitting down, as you can see, I'm open and honest about everything, and this guy was an authority figure to me, and I was sitting across from him on the table, so I was so used to that, talking to a counsellor or, you know, or a therapist or a psychiatrist a lot, so everything came out, like, and I just told him everything, and he was like, look, I can't pass you here, um, you've excessive white matter on your brain, 
um, which can end pretty bad if you get a, a punch. It can you know bring something on. Um, and due to your mental health history, if you have a bad loss again, I don't know if you're going to try and take your life or not. You know, like you did before. So he was like, look, it's not happening. So I broke down in tears in front of him. You know what I mean? I thought everything was coming together. Um, so I went home. Uh, on the bus down to Dublin, or from Dublin, I just had to think. I was like, what can I do with all my training? It's all gone to waste now. And, but I had a good thinking. I was like, look, I can teach. I can teach, you know what I mean? And pass on the knowledge. So I was teaching there for a while. And then um, it was coming up then to the Christmas 2017. It was coming up to the one year anniversary of Beats an old over. training partner. Right. And a, no, and a friend um, who had taken his life. Um, all I knew was it was coming up to his one year anniversary. I felt emotional. It was around Christmas time, you know, the stress and everything. It's hard time for a lot, you know. So I threw up my life story. I was thinking maybe it might help someone. You know, you can go from really, really bad to... So you put yourself out there, was it, on social yeah, media? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I put up my story and I shut my phone off and left it there at home. Ran in town. Had about 12 green teas over there. Um, went back. I was away from my phone for about an hour. Turned my phone on and checked it and after an hour there was 46,000 people had seen it on Facebook. There was probably around 300 comments um, and not one of them was negative. Mm. I was in massive fear. That's why I left my phone at home. Mm. I was like, people are going to be judgmental and say, I wasn't allowed to see my daughter, you're terrible dad. I had abused alcohol and drugs because I was, you know, I felt crap about myself. Oh, he's an addict, like a, a stereotypical you know, scumbag. Like, it's like, no, not one. Just got compassion. Yeah, everyone was like, Jesus Christ, like, how could that, like, whoa, you know? Of all the brave things you've done in your life, that was probably one of the bravest. I, I would, from my point of view, to put yourself out there. I would certainly agree. So, yeah. you know, you're so vulnerable. You're so, like, you, once you've put it out there on social media, there's no going back. Um, and everybody has the fear of what other people think of them, you know? Yeah. Um, so then you came back and you got that good reaction. Yeah, so, I, like, it was an amazing reaction. And... I just felt, okay, I was at the openness of the world here and mm. nothing negative came my way. But also then as well, like, that's a good way for you and like, once you put your problem out there, no one can beat you with the stick anymore. That's it. I've owned it. Oh yeah, no, like you everything know? came out like yeah. that day. Like it was like, this is where I was at. This is what I done. This is how I felt. This is it. But there were probably people around you that didn't know. Maybe, you know, they became, yeah, maybe just yeah, outside yeah. your immediate circle that kind of knew yeah. about you and, oh, geez, he went down this road or we're not, I and then got just a few saw that, like that and said, wow, man, we never knew. Yeah. yeah. People were like, you know, one person actually said, I just thought you loved a sesh, <laughs> basically. <laughs> sesh head. Yeah. Like, and I was like, not really. Like, yeah. I was just trying to destroy myself. I was putting yeah. on this fake joy that, you know, that you just couldn't see through really. Like, so, um. It was that. But and were you getting messages then of, Jesus, man, well done for putting yourself out there. So yeah. sorry to hear this. But you, were you always getting messages from people going, I'm in the same type of circumstance. Yeah. I'm kind of lost myself. Where should I go? What should I do? Yeah. They were the messages that really stood out for me. That they were the ones that really, that I needed to act on, you know. Um, and I did. And there were certain people I could not help. As I said, I'm not a... Not a psychologist, mm. not a psychiatrist, nothing like that. Counselor, therapist, nothing like that. I'm a life coach, you know. And um, it's different. And I would never tell anyone that I would deal with emotions. Um, so there was people I helped. There was people that I couldn't help literally, like directly. So I was like, look, maybe try this place. Give them a ring and come back to me. Accountability. Let me know how you get on. Not just leave them high and dry, you know. So again, that was where it was at. It was 
I was helping people a lot there from the post and, and literally as well, like in, 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 in Messenger and stuff like that and where the messages were coming to. And I just kept going. I was like, okay, this is where it's at now for a while. Let's see what we can do with this. You're helping people there. So I carried on. And also you're sober, you're clean. So like your yeah. thoughts... That was part of it. That as was part don't of put those, this label on, but your thoughts are real. You know, they're, they're actually proper emotions. They're not drug-induced yeah. or alcohol-induced. No, 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 no. And then so these good feelings that are coming in, they're actually... You know, you're they're doing as okay. natural as they come. Graham's actually all right here, yeah. yeah. For like the first time, like there was emotions coming in that were just so natural. And I was like, okay, this isn't drinking drug and juice. This is how joy is supposed to feel. Mm. And I latched onto that. Or another main one was with family and, and everyone around me that helped me. It was like, okay, this is what love feels like. Latched onto that. You know what I mean? I was getting all these natural emotions, natural Those highs. people in your close circle, they, they must have been, they must have seen a change in you, physically and your your well-being. Yeah. They must have been so proud of you. Yeah, they? they were just like, I mean, they had seen it every day. So it wasn't like mm. I was this size yeah. and then this yeah. size and they were like, holy crap. They had seen it every day. They had seen me struggle a lot with it. You know what I mean? And they were always there for me, you know, but they were just, you know, amazing, like, you know. Um, so at that point it carried on with, with, with blogging or whatever way you want to call it um, on Instagram and Facebook and I got an email okay from someone saying they were from RT and I was like okay I thought it was one of the lads like one of my buddies messing and I was like yeah. alright I'll ring this number now and hear a Cork accent over the phone like mm. one of the lads um, a normal accent and it was a Dublin accent and he was like look we're putting together a show it's called Nationwide it's Mental Health Week that week um, would you like to be part of it? And I was like, absolutely. They were like, right, come on in, we'll interview you and we'll, we'll see what we can do. So I was on the show. Um, that was the 8th of October last year. And since the show, I have had message after email, after phone call, message, email, phone, like over and over and over again. Will you come here and do a talk? Can you help me with mm. this? Will you come here and do a talk? Because your message yeah. now has become positivity, isn't it? And change yeah. and... Yeah, transformation, mm. I like to call it, yeah. Mm. And then, like, I don't talk it like... But everybody has to kind of have a living and earn an income. So I presume yeah. your ability to work previously was kind of stymied with your behaviours. Oh. Your, so oh, are, you, yeah. are you able to now turn this knowledge and this passion for coaching and passion for transformation into an income is this this is a business for you now yeah this is where it's at mm. it's i wouldn't call it a business i'd call it a service like i'm serving people because from my heart is what i call it you know what i mean it's it's nothing to do with the financial aspect yeah it's a side effect of mm. course you know um, you have to monetize everything if you don't just you're going to come up with challenges but it is certainly you're a coming from an altruistic me. approach to yeah, it. Yeah, I'm coming from yeah. my heart, and that's it. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm literally in the the job of helping people. Like, you can't come from that with a financial aspect or mindset. Yeah. It's not going to work for you or the uh, client. I, I saw you there recently. You think you start you're speaking to teenage kids in schools now? Yeah, and yeah. So the first after Nationwide, um, there was a school got onto me, and it was a secondary school at Lone in Westmead. So I called up there. The town was badly affected by suicide and drugs yeah yeah, yeah. you know the way things are mm -hmm. unfortunately um i went up and it was just will you talk to the school and i was like yeah i was expecting if you know maybe fourth years or whatever but it was like first second third fourth fifth and sixth uh, space of four hours i talked to the entire school 
it was just like I was like blown away it was like and it was 420 students it was a small school now in fairness but it was four hours talking straight you know and I was just I loved every second of it are you like, talking about bullying substance abuse yeah I'm talking about everything, everything I've talked about right now yeah. um, but in more detail as to how I overcame it you know so they can learn I'm not just there saying I was a bit you know crazy there for a while mm. like that's not going to help anyone you know yeah if they see the outcome and where you are now and you're obviously saying in a really relatable way that they can absolutely yeah like any talk I ever do anyway is, is, is I, it's based off you know gender age you know something like I could talk a male I could talk to a lot of males on a real level and be like you know this is how it is now and then if it's females I could just word it differently and you know really get down to the emotional side of things where, where females are at you know that's no judgment to any females. No, no, no. That's I a good thing. Yeah. yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it's it's the bravado that I can really yeah. relate to because I was that, you know, in the yeah. males, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it it was just it was well received. And yeah. so you're now using social media as like a real tool for you now, isn't it? You know, to get your message out, yeah. uh, to attract a larger audience yeah. and kind of in, in, increase your profile. But it it certainly allows you uh, get to people that might need to hear your message. Yeah, I mean. For myself, like I started a, a life coaching course in May last year, um, so I'd like, I've come from that, you know, um, and I've used social media to, to tell people, you know, that I'm here to help you, like, um, and it's, again, that's, even that's been well received, like, and I've, I have a good few clients out at the minute, and there's, a, they're all really having success, and, mm -hmm. like, they're really, you know, so you must you 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 must get a real reward out of that yourself personally, do you? I do. Like a, a client sent me a message the other night. I put it up on Instagram. Like I was like, I just love when clients do this. Like it was just you know I know she she basically just said I know it's your your job or whatever, but like I appreciate every time you're there for me. Like because I am like I could like I couldn't just I suppose be with someone for an hour a week. You know, yeah, I have no contact in between. Over, like yeah. how is that helping someone? Like I give them tasks, homework. Any challenges that arise, drop me a message and I'm there for you. If I'm online, I'll reply straight away. If not, I'll reply later on. Like that's you know, it's um, a relationship. What's the uh, what's the future for for Gray McCormick? The future is very very bright, I believe, and I feel and I know and I can see it. Um, steps to be taken. There's a lot, um, but there's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of positivity. There's a lot of love, you mm. know. I, not just I'm not just talking about me. I'm mm. talking about yeah. I, I can feel from others. You know what I mean? I think trying to change the landscape. I'm up in the Dáil on the fifth of February actually to give a presentation of my life story and how my family had suffered due to lack of mental health services. Um, so we'll see where that goes. Brilliant. We'll see where that goes. Yeah. Brilliant. And just like, are you, will you be talking about specifically like mental health service available to young men that are might be in crises like in late teens, early twenties? Do you think like there is a real lack of facilities, services? Do you think I, that there is also yeah. a tendency to overprescribe drugs to, to young lads or men? Or yeah, like the mental health system male. needs to change. Okay, it needs to be reformed. Something drastic needs to happen. Um, I'm not going up to the doll now to blame politicians and say you should have done this or you shouldn't have done that. I'm there to say here's what happened in my life because of the mental health services. Here's how my family suffered. Here's my ideas. Okay, here's what I think should be implemented. You know, mm. um, that's where I'm coming from. With regards young males, absolutely yeah. Um, but young 
people in general even more so yeah um but with the young males like i'm starting a movement at the minute it's called zen men okay i'm open to it transforming and changing over time um but at the minute it's called zen men okay what i mean by that is we're trying to blend the masculine and feminine energy within us because when there's too much testosterone too much masculinity and this this pressure from from society saying you should not talk you're a male you should be strong which is big a lot of crap i've ever heard in my life that's a recipe for disaster it really is and my life is a reflection of that you know and so what what's involved in in zen men zen men at the minute is just getting off the ground and that's what i, I touched on there with the energy and, and and the love from everyone and it's you know the awareness is there um every post every kind of second day I put up on a hashtag zen men so what it actually is it's a movement. movement. The specifics are not there just yet. Mm. Zen men, it's in the name, yeah. It'll be a more, I wouldn't say zen to be honest, but a more settled, humble approach to life within young males. Through meditation, through mindfulness, you know? Listening, understanding. Yeah, empathy, you know. Um, getting to communicate on an emotional level. Um, not being afraid to open up as a young male, you know? Not saying drop the bravado mm. straight away, it's it's part of you. But I'm saying just nip into it. Mm. And that could start by saying, Do you know what? To a friend, I feel like crap the last few days, mm. man. I mm. really do like mm. Well I think that any big plans or any big movement starts with small steps. Absolutely. I think you're on the right road. Yeah. Uh I just want to thank you for coming in today. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story. Uh it's mind blowing what you've been through, but it's even more mind blowing to see you now. Uh, we wish you all the best on your journey. Uh, we'll be watching. Uh, I think if you go, I think you'll be very powerful in the doll. I think we might even see you running for public election someday. Uh, maybe it. politics I'm might open. be an option for I'm you. Open. I'm open. Yeah, I think your message is real powerful. If anyone wanted to get in touch with you, uh, Graham, where is the best? Yeah, so I'm on I'm on Facebook or, or and Instagram. Yeah. I'm on Instagram under the Real World Buddhist Coaching, uh, and I'm on Facebook under my name. I have a private profile and a kind of blog profile sure. so either art doesn't matter brilliant uh, well thank you so much yeah, and uh, we thank you we wish well, all yeah. the best for the future yeah. thank you for so much for having me on thank you